This podcast is for grown-ups only. Some of the content may not be appropriate for little ears like mine. I'm still glad to be able to encourage law enforcement that, like, what you're doing matters. I would argue that addiction is a spiritual sickness with a mental and physical component. Um, We see sin described as sickness in the Bible. Welcome to Diakonasa Cops Calling. I'm Anthony Weaver. And real quick, before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to give a quick teaser about next week's episode. On next week's episode, uh, we're going to be discussing some current events from the perspective of police officers. And the great G. Lowe, a.k.a. Gary Lowe, is going to be joining me on that episode. Uh, So that episode is going to be excellent uh, and and something you don't want to miss. But right now, let's get into the much-anticipated part two with Alex Sumansky. On this episode, she talks about her short stint in jail and how God used that to get her attention. Uh, she also talks about her meeting, uh, her meeting with some of the police officers who had arrested her, and also her thoughts on addiction and how it's uh, being labeled as a disease in our culture. As usual, after uh, our conversation with her, uh, I have a new Kicking Up the Dust in Pursuit segment, and I also have some thoughts on being kind versus being nice in law enforcement. All right, let's jump into part two with Alex. Yeah, so you're you're in prison, and you you never used uh, since that since that time in prison. Mm-hmm. What happened when you're in there? Like what what? Yeah, what happened? So um, I. It took a couple of days um, for me to like dry out and figure out what the heck was going on. Or I assume a couple of days could have been six hours, could have been a week. I don't know. <laughs> right. No, I did the math. I think it was a couple of days. Um, and when I finally kind of came to, I realized and and found out what my charges were. Understood that I was a felony, or I was a felony. I had a felony. Um, I realized like I was 20 years old like I grew up my entire life with all my teachers telling me you have so much potential and you're so smart you just have to apply yourself and now all that potential was wasted because I'm good at talking to people I'm good at I have like the personality to be like a kids tv show host like I have like the energy and I'm very like hoppy and boppy and like nice and stuff and I had I wanted to be a teacher or maybe a nurse or maybe a doctor or something where I wanted to work with people and in the state of Pennsylvania like a felony, a violent felony prevents you from doing almost any profession um, that is that way um, because they're, uh, they're, you know, protecting people, understandably so. Um, right. When the whole Sandusky thing went down, um, they kind of slapped together some laws that like anybody with this blanket of charges uh, can't serve with kids in a volunteer capacity Mm -hmm. um they can't there's a number of things and it's for the sake of protecting vulnerable populations and i understood that but at the same time i was absolutely broken 
Um, I also, probably what was more powerful was that I understood how this was going to work now because I had dated a lot of guys who had been like to jail or at the very least on probation. Um, And I knew that I was going to eventually get out. Cool. But then I was going to be on parole and then I would get drug tested. And I had sincerely tried to stop drinking and using. Um, And I had been unable to in the past. And I was like, there is no hope. This is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life because I'm going to fail the drug test because no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be able to stay sober and then I'm going to go back to jail and it's just going to be this endless cycle. And like my max out would have been like 10 years. Like like if if I had like violated and all that and like I was like my entire life is over. Like this is terrible. Um, And then the Holy Spirit moved in me. Um, I remembered what I had been told uh, in the past through different youth programs where I had heard the gospel. And at one point I went to a home for troubled youth that was theologically a little hinky and wound up kind of culty in the staff area. But I did, I was exposed to the word of God and I understood the gospel. I understood sin. I understood what a sin debt was. I understood who God was. I understood what Christ had done for me. And I had heard testimony of people who had been like scum of the earth, like, you know, crazy criminal record guys who God had changed. And I was like, oh yeah, there's a God. Like there's that guy. Like nothing I can do can possibly manipulate me out of this situation, which I had gotten out of every consequence that I had ever been faced with. Um, When I was arrested as a minor, it usually wound up I would not comply and my dad would end up paying a fine is what it comes down to a lot of times when minors like, you know, are arrested and stuff. Um, But I remembered that there was God. I remembered that he was in control of everything. And I remembered that there were people that he had changed. And I knew that he could change me. And so realizing that my way and like what I wanted, which was to be, you know, on heroin for the rest of my life with never having to worry about running out was like my dream. That's every heroin addict's dream. But that was not going to happen. That was not sustainable. That was not possible. And so that was my everything. And when I realized that that was not going to happen, I had nothing. And so I was like, all right, well, I mean, I have nothing to lose anyway. I guess it's time uh, to turn everything over to God. And um, the words that I will not mind be done came to mind, like how Jesus spoke in the garden. Mm -hmm. Um, But also um, in the 12-step program where I you know, had had at that time, you know, been in and out of, um, at the end of meetings, they say the Lord's prayer. Um, and then they end it with thy will, not mine be done. Um, sometimes, or, um, there's a woman I know who always finishes out the serenity prayer with thy will, not mine be done. And that stuck with me. And from that moment, was I perfect? Nope. Was, were my personal convictions or even like 
non-debatable, you know, <laughs> biblical convictions in line. Nope, not right away. Took me a while. Um, but I knew that, like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to just submit everything to God. I had to obey. I had to basically turn my brain off was what early recovery was like for me. Um, because I had been so powerless over picking up a, a needle in the past when I had been sober and wanted not to relapse. I had been so powerless that like I couldn't control that. So it was, I was like almost afraid that a like loaded needle was going to fall out of the sky into my arm. Like mm. that's because that's how much power I had over when I was like relapsing in the past. So it was none, you know? Right. Um, and so following direction, not doing anything I thought that I should do, but just doing what I was told by my parents, by my, I got, I went to a recovery house. Like my parents told me to, they told me to go to 12 step meetings. So I did that. They told me to get a sponsor and a home group. And I did that. And I did the 12 steps. And within like 18 months, I had finished the 12 steps. That's not, that's not like fast or slow. That's pretty normal. Um, but I, I followed direction. I had to turn my brain off and just d- put one foot in front of the other, do the next right thing. And like, that was how simple it had to be in the beginning. I couldn't be all into like, you know, like understanding like biblical theology. I wasn't right. there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so interesting to me that that moment, a complete lack of control, like propelled you backwards all those years to remember a truth you had, you had been given. Do you think, do you think, um, do you think you were saved? Like this is, this is always a really interesting, like theological question. Do you think you were saved back then when you made a decision or do you think the moment, um, you know, in prison where you had that, just like that light bulb moment that that was, you know, the moment you were saved. Have you ever thought about that? Well, yes. And um, <laughs> I'm sure you have. It it really it gets very theologically specific here. Right. Um, I mean, if we believe, you know, in predestination and election, yeah. like no matter what, I was going to be saved. Right. Mm-hmm. So it does there have to be a white light moment in that same way? Yeah. No, I wouldn't say so necessarily. Yeah. Um sometimes um like we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and I was taught that actually uh, from someone in our church, and that helped me a lot uh, to understand that. Um, so I know that seeds were planted. I know that I heard the gospel. I know that what I understood of it, like I would have believed, but I didn't believe it to the point where it produced action in me and that's what i'm to understand that saving faith is right so i don't know but and that's what i had mentioned earlier um i i don't know i'm not i, I had heard the gospel before i know that i was saved at the point where that moment was happening for me in jail i don't know if right. i actually would have you know if my name was in 
the book or not, you right. know, or or if it always had been because God always knew. I, you know, it gets yeah. a little. Oh, wow. I, yeah. yeah, I know, I know. Mind uh, blown. I know, yeah. dude. Yes. Yeah. No, no, it's it's uh it's really interesting. Like, um, you know, my testimony, you know, a clear point of salvation as a teenager, and then my twenties, this this uh this point of recognizing my sin like thinking i was a good person and then all of a sudden like realizing you know feeling like i was missing something believed jesus was who he said he was um you know had confessed uh, my belief in him desired to follow him but just felt like i was missing something for years and years until a moment where god just like showed me you think you're a good guy that's your problem. That's what you're missing. Mm-hmm. You're missing the fact that um, you deserve the wrath of God, that there's mm-hmm. nothing that you do that can make you righteous. Um, and that was just such a light bulb moment for me. And I've often wondered, I'm like, okay, so I I believe I was saved back, you know, it, again, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. It's just always a really interesting conversation or really interesting thing to think about. In my brain, anyways, it's interesting. But mm-hmm. no, absolutely. And I've, I've, because there are people who will tell you if you don't have that date, yeah, then you are not saved. And I totally disagree with. I that. I disagree a hundred percent because, right. like, I know that I'm saved now, and the way that I know that is because I experience conviction right. of the Holy Spirit. I, um, you know, like the it's. Even as slowly as it's happening, as far as I'm concerned, like I am being sanctified. Right. Um, I am not the same as I was. I am a different, I'm a new creation. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I know that I am saved. Um, but I, and I mean, if somebody asked me, I could be like, yeah, well, at this time, I know I was definitely saved by this point. And that was. February 1st, 2014. And I don't know that because it's the day I was saved. I know that because it's my sobriety date. Yeah. 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 How important was it being in prison and having that time away from all the substances? Like, it seems like it was just such a God-ordained moment to get you to think more clearly. Do you ever think about that or wonder about that? If you wouldn't have been arrested, would you be where you are right now? I think God would have got me there somehow. Yeah. Because I think it was God's plan from the beginning. Right. But I mean, without, I, I can't imagine how it would have happened because, like, God had to strip every delusion of grandeur and idea that I had some sort of power over my life away from me. Um, in order to, like, show me that, like, He is Lord and He is the only one. Who will ever satisfy? He's he is the love righteous judge. He is he is you know. Right. Um, but yeah, um, that time away. Um, so I mean, I went through heroin withdrawal in jail uh, with nothing but uh, some Tylenol three with codeine. Uh, that's what they give you when you're in there. And I mean, that was helpful uh, compared to nothing. Um, I definitely felt better for 15 minutes after I took it. And then dude, what's withdrawal? Like, 
I hear people talk about it. Yeah. But I've never had someone really truly describe it. So the the worst part about withdrawal by far is the like mental emotional part. Um, when we were talking about how the brain works, like you are, your anxiety is through the roof because you're freaking out. Um, whether you're able to, it helps if you're able to think on the truth about like who you are and who God is, which thank God I had the joy of the Lord. Like I was sweating and I had like insane diarrhea, but I was like, (laughs) thanking god (laughs) um but because like there was like definitely a supernatural joy but the worst part was like it feels like the essence of frustration is pulsing through your veins like that's it's the worst thing i can possibly imagine the very close second worst part for this little lady of um withdrawal was not being able to sleep and having restless legs at night. Like it feels like someone's tickling your bones of your legs and you can't sleep through it. And that was absolutely miserable. Like that was horrible. Like, yeah, stomach cramps. Absolutely. Right. Um, You know, you just generally don't feel good. You're sweaty, you're hot, you're cold, you know. Um, But that, that the restless legs for me, worst part. But wow. yeah, but you made it. I did. And how how long how long did you feel that terrible? That terrible. The whole time you were there. Or? Mo- most of it. Wow. It took me, I think, two or three days after I got out of jail that I actually slept like maybe five hours straight at night, and I was like, "Wow, this is great," um, because it wasn't helped by the fact that I was absolutely starving in jail because I couldn't make myself stomach the food that was you know served um there's a picture that sometimes goes around on facebook of a tray and it's the same kind of tray they use at lancaster (laughs) and like it's enough to make me skip a meal like just seeing the picture of the tray um my my celly she would give me her um carton of milk in the morning and I'd give her my whole rest of my breakfast tray because I didn't want it but I'd drink the milk because like it wasn't like expired and like it was milk is for my entire life I've been a big milk drinker um <laughs> and it's my mom will laugh actually the moment I got out of jail uh well prison whatever uh my mom brought me to a diner bought me a steak and a glass of milk and told the waiter to keep the glass of milk full the entire time um (laughs) uh but yeah yeah so um that drying out like i did feel terrible um but that time away like there were definitely times in jail where i was like when i get out i'm gonna go get high like there were moments like that right um but the lord like (laughs) what else can i say yeah yeah were you terrified like when you found out okay i'm I'm getting out on this date were were you terrified of that or were you just so happy to be out or was it a little bit of both so my circumstance was a little bit unique in that i didn't know i was getting out until like they were like samansky pack your stuff okay so i was i afraid no time Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and i was super excited i had finally got commissary um because you have to like fill out paper a week in advance to get your commissary the following week in lancaster right and like 
I had finally got some money on my books and I had finally been able to like order my commissary. And then I ate $75 worth of commissary in two days. <laughs> um, I lost like 15, I was wow. down to 115 pounds, which um, is really, really low for me when I was in jail. And 15 of those I lost while I was in there wow. um, because I couldn't get myself to eat and withdrawal doesn't make you that nauseous like it was it was a combination of all of it but yeah um so petition for better prison food not really though because it kept me sober for a little (laughs) while because i so didn't want to deal with that again right um yeah so you you meant you you mentioned that you met the officers Mm -hmm. um was that just like a one-time meeting or have you like kept up some sort of contact there that's how it went um so yeah, now that we're like through the jail story, I'll go through it a little bit more. Yeah. Um so I got sober, did the steps. Uh the ninth step is um to make amends to the people you had harmed. So I had, you know, done that to the best of my ability in right. my early sobriety. But once I and by the way, not everyone has to go to a twelve step program to be stay sober and I don't agree with everything that any 12-step program that I've ever heard of has to say, but it's something that God used in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if you want to talk more about that then, but that will take me, I can, woo. Um, <laughs> She's got to come back, basically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, what did you ask me? <laughs> I asked you uh, if you um, kept up that, oh, mm-hmm. that interaction with the police officers that had arrested you. So... Like I said, um, years, a couple years later, so like fall of 2019, um, I realized that I, like I needed to get in touch with these cops. So I sent them a letter. I explained that I was a believer, that I was sober now, um, that it was like I wanted to do my utmost to set my wrongs right, to glorify God and if at all possible i want to encourage them you know um and so by the time we actually got together it was like the very beginning of covid like it was yeah yep it was uh definitely march or april 2020 okay um but yeah i had gotten a hold i sent the letter and then i got a call from one of the officers and i was like oh my goodness like wow and like I was just, wow. And he, that's when he told me that all three of them were believers. Um, and I was like, that's amazing. And he talked about how encouraged they were by my letter, being able to share, um, that like I was sober now and for such a period of time and that like the Lord had really changed me. Mm -hmm. Um, so they remembered, cause this would have been when you sent the letter, that would have been like five years, Mm -hmm. you know, right around there yeah well and i told them who i was i told them when they arrested me i told like because i was like what if they don't remember um but yeah they they did um yeah yep and uh so i ended up going to the station and meeting with them and we um we well two out of the three um one of them uh unfortunately he had cancer and he was uh given not that long to live so he was living like he was dying at the time. Um, he has since passed. Um, however, um, the other two officers that I did get to meet with, um, yeah, we, 
it was just, it was great to be able, we talked about God and we talked about addiction and I was able to, you know, of course we always go like, is there anything I can do? And everybody like to, to set my wrong, right. And most people just say, stay sober. And like, um, one of the officers was like, you need to like share your story. And I was like, I do do that fairly regularly. And here I am continuing. Um, and especially at that time with COVID going on and then the stuff that would ensue later that year, I was glad and am still glad to be able to encourage law enforcement that like, what you're doing matters when you are carrying out the law when you are doing um like your job when you are fulfilling like the biblical calling to be to do what a cop does <laughs> to enforce the law to protect people um to like keep the peace um i saw it worded somewhere um to protect a space for people to be able to live out right conduct um was kind of how i saw it okay put but yeah um to be able to do that like when you are doing that like you like god can use you like even if you're not a believer god will still use you um yeah yeah but yeah yeah uh, I mean, Romans 13 does not mm-hmm. say, it says God has placed those in authority there. It doesn't say God's mm-hmm. only placed certain people. Um, he's he's uh, he's placed all of them into that position. And um, yeah, that it, and I think when, when I had that short conversation with you in the church lobby, um, I don't even really remember how that came about or, or what brought that about or how I even heard part of your testimony at that point, but that was just so encouraging to me um, because like you just get, I, I don't, I don't even know how to express it. You just get so hardened to people like your heart because you get to a point where you literally cannot. I, I think officers generally, they just can't take on any, more like uh i think it was uh chief berkeheiser in an episode you know towards the beginning of this podcast uh when i started this podcast said you get like uh worn out your 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 empathy um exhausted like you don't you don't have any more to give and you talk to so many people who tell you they've turned their lives around they've done this they've done that and the next day you're dealing with them again or the next week you're dealing with them again and you just you start you just start thinking people can't change. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult. And as a believer, as a police officer who was a believer, like I always was trying to fight against that. But at the same time, I couldn't, I would have someone like you under arrest and I, like I couldn't, I would just be like, it's just a person I arrested. Mm-hmm. And very rarely did you have like a connection, like person to person that you felt was life-giving in any way. It was just, Here's another person who's made really poor decisions, um, and they're so high I can't even have a conversation with them, and you know they're treating me like garbage. And you know what? They're a piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. I'm just being perfectly honest. Absolutely. It's so and I hard that. for like police officers to 
not get that attitude. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why, you know, it's important for me to have conversations with you. And that's why this podcast has kind of, I don't want to say it, it's, it's uh, helped me be more human like to people because like on the job, you just get so, um, yeah, you just get so weighed down with, with all of it. Mm -hmm. And like, there are guys on the job that are just so weighed down. Like all they do is they just trudge through like garbage for their whole shift, um, day in and day out. And so, yeah, it, it's encouraging to me. I think you can hear the emotion of this mm -hmm. that, you know, to talk to someone like you, who's, who's, treated police officers like garbage they then they didn't treat you back like garbage mm -hmm. amazingly mm -hmm. and it's challenging to me because i'm like mm -hmm. i don't know if i would have been that nice like i know what type of officer i was and i you know maybe i would have been the officer that would have slammed you mm -hmm. and and just just to remember that you're still dealing with humans who have souls mm -hmm. that can be saved mm -hmm. that can change um and it may seem like it never happens but it does happen mm -hmm. and you may just not hear about it, but maybe how you interact with that person in that moment, um, you know, may make it may make a difference, you know? So it's just a cool, it's just a cool story for, yeah. for me to hear. So I'm so glad. And I hope it encourages other officers too. Like, I can't stress this enough. Like, like, and I'm, I'm not saying that officers don't think that we have souls, but like, like one of the officers who arrested me, um, he went later when I was able to talk with them, you know, when, when I, you know, was able to meet up with them. Um, he said he was typically a cop who might have slammed me against the car, but that I reminded him of his daughter. Mm. Um, he has a daughter my age. He okay. and he told me, I mean. I don't, I forget how long he said, but he has been a cop for a long time. He's semi-retired now. I think he only works like Fridays or every other Friday or something like that. Um, but like it was more, it was, I want to say it was like 30 years or something. Like yeah. he's, he's older. Like yeah. he, he has a daughter who's around my age. Um, and I was the first person he had ever known who had gotten sober and stayed sober mm -hmm. Yeah. And quit everything right. and was a believer and like who God had truly changed in that way. And like he was really encouraged. And it, like it's not anything that I've done. And I I would never like I I hope this comes across in the way that I talk. Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. I, yeah, I it has nothing to do with me. Like it's all what the Lord has done in me um through uh the way that he has the world set up like absolutely i was checking out romans 13 today because i knew i was going to be on here <laughs> and like i i was aware but i just wanted to you know get a get a you know refresher right um and that like the lord did did set the governing authorities and like the cops like the ministry mm. of the sword like that's right. like you know in uh put there by god and through the mechanism that he set up when it was working properly, when I got the consequences of my actions, um, and, and the, the cops were kind, but that didn't mean they were like, oh, you can go, it's fine. That's not kind. Right. You know, being mm -hmm. kind and being nice are not even always the same thing. Right. Um, like they, in action, just by doing their job, they were loving me. 
They were showing God's love to me by walking out what he would have them to do in the job that they were doing. And God used that to change me. And like we, drug addiction basically turns us into animals. But we have a soul just like your wife, just like your kids, just like uh, your mom or or your your precious favorite grandma. Um, Like we are those people. Um, We're we're broken. We're in sin when we're like. I mean, we're. I mean, yeah. We all we're being sanctified. I'm being sanctified now. But like when we're not believers. We're in sin and we're broken, but we're human beings who have a soul. We're image bearers of God, right. just like you. Um, and, and we are redeemable. But the thing is, people can't change. Only God can change people. Yeah. No human power could have relieved my addiction. But God can and God will. Um, he will he needs to prompt a person. I believe that he needs to initiate that in your heart. I couldn't change what I wanted. There were times in the past when I had wanted to get sober just because I didn't want the consequences of my actions anymore. So I figured not using was a good idea. Right. But I couldn't make myself not want to be high. God did that for me. He had to do that. Yeah. But but it really does happen. Like there's, I know other people who have years sober from heroin, years, um, who are now sponsoring other people through twelve step programs. Um, who there are people who go to our church. There are you know, yeah. um, who do get sober and like we change from like these animals, animals. And the Bible would describe us as animals. There's another 12-step fellowship that I don't go to, but they use the animal metaphor um, that it brings us down, like our addiction brings us down to the animalistic level, Mm -hmm. um, I think is how they word it in their uh, basic text. But um, yeah. And that's so interesting because I think, you know, people that are engaged in addiction and just crime in general, because the police are constantly interacting with them, I think it breaks the police down, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent where they, they, um, yeah, they, they kind of lose their heart and soul a little bit. They kind of mm-hmm. lose empathy. They kind of lose some of that. And, and, uh, I think that's why you sometimes see, see problems. Now in, in your case, you know, the officers would have been completely justified mm-hmm. in using a little more force Absolutely. They, w- they would have been completely justified in that but in that moment for whatever reason they they chose discretion that that mm-hmm. incident will never make the five o'clock news i know i want it to <laughs> so bad but <sighs> uh, but but yeah it's 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 just uh it i think it just one thing i saw towards the end of my career and i would talk to guys about this is i saw some I saw officers not finishing well. I saw some officers mm. not finishing well. They started out well. They were really good officers. They were doing the right things. It was a calling. And then they just, they didn't finish well. Mm. And it was so interesting to me because I would see guys begin to turn into what they really hated. Mm. They would, they would talk, you know, they would talk about 
like, I can't stand, like, I'm so tired of dealing with this. I can't stand this. I can't stand that person. I can't stand dealing with these people, you know, and would, would begin to turn into what they hated. And it's sin. And it's sin. That's, that's what it is. It's sin. It's, it's, uh, it's the human condition. And, uh, but yeah, super, super encouraging to have you here, um, talking about it and, and talking about how, how God, uh, changed you. Is there anything a police officer can do to better help those who are engaged in active addiction? Like when they're dealing with them, is there anything a police officer can do other than? Yeah. Um, oh, she on. brought, she brought it. She brought paper. <laughs> I did. Notes. I brought, okay. Because I, this was a question that I actually kind of struggled to find an answer for because okay. a lot of people would say like, Oh, like, I don't know, be, be, I don't know, just like, let them go or whatever. Like, you know, um, the, the, um, yeah, there are people who I don't think would answer this, who would have an answer for this question, then would have very strong convictions about it that I would utterly disagree with. Um, so I mean, my biggest things would be, be consistent, be honest, be kind, do your job. Kind doesn't always mean nice, just like we said earlier. I do like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, being kind means doing what is ultimately best for that person, which for an officer, I would assume often means allowing them to face the consequences of their actions. Um, You can show them that honesty. Um, You can show them. You can show them that honesty and doing the right thing is what wins out ultimately. Um, like you can show them that the good guy wins, um, by being the good guy while you're being the good guy. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean being like a mushy pushover. You can't do that in your job. I understand you have to be able to be an authority and to be, um, you know, respected and to be able to kind of command a situation. Right. And that means not being a pushover and that's completely fine. Um, it may be helpful to you as like uh, to the law enforcement professionals who are listening um, to understand that in this moment that you are dealing with an addict who is in active addiction, they no longer have the power of choice. Uh, as we said before, people can't change. God can change people. Um, these people have made decisions um, slowly over time. Uh, that have enslaved them to their addiction and now no human power can change them only god can do that um he can use you to help though because you're serving once again in a like a calling that god has placed on your life whether you're a believer or not you're walking in his plan good news um or at least part of it right yeah um and if it comes up and they're willing to listen, like um, you mentioned earlier, Anthony, that um, there are like some people like, of course, like they, they can't even comprehend anything that's going on. Right. But some people are like at their bottom and are willing to listen. Right. Um, you know, if they're willing to listen, um, you can suggest that they need help because they do. They cannot get sober themselves. Um they absolutely need 
to detox. They are not like the chaining somebody up in a basement thing is not a viable option. <laughs> okay. They need whether it's to go to jail um, and detox that way right. um, or to like go to a rehab facility of some kind. Cool. Whatever. Um, I actually don't agree with everything they teach in rehabs. Right. In fact, 12 step programs don't agree with everything they teach in rehabs um, because 12 step programs are not associated with um, like the rehab outpatient industry, okay. they're in, mm. they're completely independent. They're fully self-supporting, um, meaning financially they're not tied to anything or anyone. Nobody works for these twelve-step programs. Uh, there are people like at like you know doing secretary work, but like at the office levels. But uh, nobody is like. Hi, I run the twelve-step meeting. This is my job. That's not how that works. Right. Um, but anyway, um, I'm like picturing like members of rehab and twelve steps like duking it out in parking lots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. There are it's old happened. guys at some meetings who would love to kick out all the kids who just got out of rehab. I know mm. one very well. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, what cops can do. Okay. Um, yeah, that's yeah. what I would say. Um, there's a real soul just like yours uh, yeah. in that person. And if you are a Christian, pray for them. Like, pray for mm -hmm. them. Like, when you get home, pray for them. Maybe before your shift, pray for the people, probably just the people that you'll come in contact with on your right. shift yeah. in general, not just the addicts, yeah. but especially the addicts, because I know that only God can change them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've said that a couple times. So your your position is that an addict cannot get clean apart from God. Yes. Okay. Um, and can you just like explain that? I'm not disagreeing with oh, you. Oh yeah, I'm just, no, absolutely. Just ex explain that out like mm -hmm. a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. Um, and I wouldn't say that every single person who gets sober is a Christian and repented, and that's why they're sober. I would say it's because God chose in his wisdom, for whatever reason that we cannot understand, to give them the gift of the reprieve from their addiction. Okay. Um, he changed them. Okay. Um, and like there are people who just call it a daily reprieve because we're not promised tomorrow. Like, I don't know if I I don't have strong opinions on that saying, yeah. but whatever. Um but yeah, um, and we call that common grace, right? Yeah. As believers, like when God is good and because because he is always good, his goodness and like the consequences of his sovereign goodness pour out on people. Hmm. In, and sometimes that includes people who are not believers and we call that common grace just from living in the world that is ruled by a good God. Yes. Yep, and so that's what I would call sobriety in a person who is not a Christian. It, it's it's still God. Um, it's common yeah. grace. That's from a biblical worldview. Yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I I like that. Mm -hmm. I've never I've never heard someone say it uh, that strongly. I've never personally thought about that, like where I would land on that. But I do. Yeah, it's there is no good apart from God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I've I had do. to think about it a lot as a believer yeah. <laughs> who's also in recovery. Like there's a lot of things in the recovery community that are taught and talked about that are antithetical to scripture. Right. Um, 
And so I've had to think about a lot of these things. Yeah. I can, I can tell like you, you have done some deep thinking about yeah. it. I, I like it. I like it. Um, along that same vein, you know, one of the big, uh, things that is circulating out there is, and, and even when I was in law enforcement, some of the trainings I was in was this idea that addiction is a disease. It's a sickness. Um, and that therefore it needs to be treated as such. Um, this push to move law enforcement out of dealing with it, or at least, um, make their interaction with it more minimal mm. because it's a disease and mm. it's a sickness and not treat it so much as a criminal uh, thing. As someone who's been heavily into addiction, who's been sober, where, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I was, I am so excited about this question. I love, <laughs> I have thought about this so much. Okay. Um, so at first, first it's important to define terms. Um, it it always is, especially in this day and age when anything can mean anything. Um, so if you're defined the way the world tends to define disease, they usually say that disease is, uh, they only define it as a medical condition that does not have any moral or spiritual implications and that it's unpreventable and cannot be, um, like recovered from, um, and if that's your definition of disease, I would say absolutely not. Right. And that's the way the world typically defines disease. I also don't believe that addiction can be ultimately cured or treated well uh, by medical or psychological means alone. Um Though medical treatment and counseling can be helpful. Like both of those things help. Like your thinking is sick. Your body is sick. Absolutely. They're, they are disordered. They are out of order. Okay. Um, that is something that is going on in a person who is in active addiction. Um, I would argue that addiction is a spiritual sickness with a mental and physical component. Um, we see sin described as sickness in the Bible um, at times. Um I'm specifically thinking of 1 Peter 2, 24, um, where uh, it talks about by Christ's wounds, we are healed. And that's in the context of talking about sin, the immediate context of talking about sin. Um, we know that Christ's sacrifice saves us from our sin. And this verse is using the term healed. Um, there are other places in scripture I was double checking today because I knew I was going to be on here um, where... We need to be healed not only from our physical sickness. We need to be healed from our emotional brokenness and the ways that others hurt us with sin. We need to be healed from our own sin. We need, you know, so it, if we think of it that way in a, in a way that is more biblical, um, we could consider it a disease. Um, but is it a disease in the way that it's like there's no, moral component here i would disagree um i would say it is not that i would say addiction is a disease that is a direct result of the addict's sin um in our society we've decided that if something's a disease it's not a result of sin and that if it's a result of sin it can't be a disease um and i would say those two things are not mutually exclusive and i would say that that idea it's not represented in scripture right um 
I would say that um, in the Bible, like it's clear that all disease is a result of sin on some level. Okay. Let's say, uh, let's say my grandma gets breast cancer. That's not a result of her personal sin. That is a result of original sin. We live in a fallen world. That is a result of Adam and Eve's sin. Okay, let's take a, so that's a disease that is caused by sin, but not the person's personal sin. Let's say that someone's in a marriage relationship and their spouse commits adultery and brings home an STD. That person has a disease that is caused by sin. It's not their own sin. It's their spouse's sin against them. So there's also disease that is caused in certain situations by the sin of another toward you, okay? But if I go out and I shoot a bunch of dope and share needles and am promiscuous and get HIV, guess what? I have a disease because of my own sin. Yeah. It's it's just like... It's, it's, it's connected, mm-hmm. and I like how you defined disease like generally speaking in these trainings and these circles they would define disease as you did at the very beginning Mm -hmm. and that's where i always had Mm -hmm. took issue yeah exactly and and i would take issue there like there's definitely a there's a sin it's sin like being living in active addiction is sin there because there's such a strong physical component like we talked about before with dopamine and of course withdrawal sucks but that's not the biggest thing that keeps an addict coming back for more i wouldn't say like there's something more there and it's what's going on in your brain but firstly i would say addiction's also very very largely an idolatry issue we are looking for ultimate satisfaction Hmm. in something that will not provide it right and i mean that's that's idolatry exactly that's idolatry and that's what addiction is um yeah so that's what we're dealing with um there's there's a lot of components if there are um circumstances in which it is helpful to look at the physical components in which it is helpful to look at the way that we think we haven't touched on that that much as far as what we're talking about but like god also has some pretty clear um instructions i'm thinking specifically of philippians 4 there are many other passages about how we are to order our thought life Mm -hmm. as an addict their thought life is out of order okay i was believing lies one of the big ones was that um, physical discomfort meant like death and was like the thing to be avoided. Right. Um, I was, you know, I was buying into lies and I was not ordering my thought life in a way that glorified God. And so there's like, it can be helpful to practice thinking certain ways. Um, and so, so like biblical counseling can be really, really helpful. Right. Um, I mean, and here's another thing. There's the idea that all, I'm sure you've heard it, that all truth is God's truth. Like if it works and if it actually, if there's something that actually works, it's probably, it's definitely, I would say, because it reflects the way that like God would have something done. Think of, um, 
mindfulness. Okay. That's what like we get that we think of that and we think of the idea from Eastern like religion. Um, but in Philippians four, we're commanded to think on what is true and real and like what is happening like actively in this moment. And in the negative, we're commanded not to think about like, we're not to speculate. We're not to think about what's not true and real. So yeah. Um, all that to say, that was a little tangent and you can edit that out if you want. Yeah. No, no. I, uh, the one thing I've really enjoyed about this episode is how like, uh, it's just Mm -hmm. different than any, any episode I've done. It's been good. It's really good because super well-spoken and thought out your points like so well. Yeah. And I just, I just love the theological aspect of it. And it's also like, it's amazing to me that, you know, uh, in some ways, seven years is a long time. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's not a long time. And in those seven years, uh, you know, to to see, to hear you talk about some stuff, the way you talk about it, and to see some of the stuff you, you put up on uh, social media and stuff. I don't know, Lauren and I have talked and we're like, wow, she's like solid like theologically solid like very you know um yeah i see a lot of stuff on social media that is i just i like have to convince myself not to respond because i i can't like god doesn't allow me to because it's just bad for bad for my heart bad for my mind and doesn't go anywhere good ever whenever i do it um so yeah, it's just it's just uh, encouraging for me to have a conversation with you. You know, your the testimony you have, what God's done in your life is 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 awesome. It's just it's it's a testimony of who God is um, and and what He does for His people, and uh, a testimony about His faithfulness. And you know, Lauren and I can testify to His faithfulness too. And it's just it's just uh, cool to 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 talk to you, just talk about your interaction with police officers, how that helped you, how horrible addiction is. I think you did mm-hmm. a really good job just painting and describing how terrible it is and what it does to people um, and what it causes you to do uh, to, to, like you said, practice idolatry, mm-hmm. you know, um, keep, keep up after that idol. Um, so yeah, man, I feel like we could probably, you know, dissect stuff for hours um, uh, <laughs> in regards to this this whole topic, um, but we can't. I know. <laughs> Maybe we could have you back on. Woo! No, and you can, yeah. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm so glad that you guys had me on. I really appreciate it. And I just hope that someone is encouraged by this. Yeah. Um, when everything was going on last summer, like my heart was broken for the police. Yeah. Like absolutely like torn out of my chest. Um, and I really like, I listened to your like first episode and like that like 2020 is what happened. Right. 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 But- um, and, but there are still officers out there and like, my goodness, like yeah. you guys, thank you 
so much for everything you do. I actually got a speeding ticket a couple of weeks ago. And after she wrote the ticket, I thanked her for yeah. everything that she does. And because I told her, I was like, I didn't want to thank you before because I didn't want you to think I was schmoozing you. But uh, I really, I, because, and now like I see, I can, me, Alex, a violent felon, my dad and I, we joke, we're like Alex the heinous criminal. Um, <laughs> because if you were to know me today, like that's the opposite of like who I am in my heart because of the Lord. But like me, Alex the heinous criminal, like when I'm driving, I'm like, oh, it's the police officer. Hi. <laughs> like, um, and like when I get pulled over, if I get pulled over for speeding, which may happen more times than I like, but I got to stop because otherwise it's not going to be good. Um, <laughs> I um, like there's no fear hmm. because compared to I lived my entire life in fear. Right. Like I was always doing something very illegal at all times. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, it's a speeding ticket. All right, whatever. This is fine. Um, because not that it's really fine, but like right. comparatively, like I there's there's just no fear and there's no desire to disrespect or anything. And once again, that points to Romans 13. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it talks about those. That, that's part of the, that position, to bring fear on those people who are engaged mm -hmm. in things they should be. They, they bear the sword. But our culture does not like that. Mm -mm. They, they think that's wrong. Yeah. So I don't know. And that's, that's, that's going to get me off on a whole other tangent. Yes, and, I know. and Lauren's like, you got to wrap this up. <laughs> but yeah, I really appreciate yeah. you coming on um, and, and talking to us. Great story. And uh um, yeah, my la my final question is after you told the police officer that mm. after you thanked, uh -huh. you said, you said uh -huh. it was a woman police uh -huh. officer. Yeah. Yep. After you thanked her for what she does, mm -hmm. what was her reaction? She was like, well, and because I kind of put it in with a joke where I was like, like, you know, just wanted you to like, I didn't want to tell you before you gave me the ticket because I wasn't trying to be nice to get you to not give me a ticket. Um, she kind of laughed and she was like, thank you. Like, and I was like, really? Like especially with everything like she was like my age like she's young right. um and i'm 27 for those listening like it's you know um but yeah um and she was she was thankful you yeah. know um i th that's i mean that's my attitude toward all the cops uh last summer i caught a lost dog and i had the cops come out to my house um to get the dog and like you know micro like check for a microchip or whatever and i was like thank you so much and then my mom was there and we were like both like almost cry she was crying but i was almost crying like thanking the cop for all they do and with everything that was going on and like uh, we can do that and i i don't once again i don't say that to toot my own horn at all i say that to say i'm the girl who was the addict who was spitting at you like out of my freaking mind right who now like we it we can change so be encouraged it can happen yeah yeah, yeah. awesome thanks so much alex i hope you found this conversation with alex as encouraging as it was for lauren and myself as we sat down and spoke to her about her story if you are a police officer i hope it just reminded you that what you do does matter and that each interaction you have does have purpose. If you are caught in addiction of any type, I hope her, store, her story squarely points you 
toward the hope she spoke about, that being the hope only offered by God the Father through his son, Jesus. Cue the All right, the officer highlighted in this episode's Cue the Dip, aka Kicking Up the Dust in Pursuit segment, is eight-year veteran Dayton, Ohio police officer Tadeo Holloway. Last Tuesday evening, Officer Holloway stopped a suspect for passing a counterfeit bill at a store. Uh, that stop spiraled downward, and he ended up getting shot and uh, getting in a shooting with that suspect. I, I sometimes question if I should play the audio of these things, as I don't want to bring more worry to officers and their families. Uh, but it's real, and it's happening every day to our police officers. Many times, many of us don't even hear about these stories from our main national press outlets. These stories are important because many in the press are actually pushing a narrative about the police that just is not true. Uh, so I am going to play the audio of the encounter, and then I'll have some more points afterwards. Sir, 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 please. Come here, that's you, No. Okay? What? Because I told you to. What? Well, you passed it, but counted, done. Oh! As you could ascertain from the audio uh, of this event, Officer Holloway approaches the suspect, tells him to stop, and gains zero compliance from the very beginning, both verbally, as the suspect actually tells him no at one point when he's told to stop, and, and the suspect actually starts walking away from Officer Holloway. Uh, the suspect then stops, drops bags he's holding, squares up, and punches Officer Holloway uh, before he begins to run away. Officer Holloway then uses his taser to stop the suspect. The suspect falls to the ground. And, and something important to interject here, many people don't realize this, uh, but tasers are not 100% effective. They're an excellent tool, uh, but they are not 100% effective. Even if you deploy them perfectly, with the probes of the taser striking the suspect at the ideal locations. Just real quick, a personal experience on that. I had a suspect one time who I tased, and that suspect was able to work through the effects of that taser and pull the probes out of him uh, while the taser was activated. So they are not 100% effective. In this case, the suspect was able to fight through the taser and retrieve a handgun from either his pocket or waistband, uh, as it appears on, on the video, and fire one shot, striking Officer Holloway in the left side of his face. Officer Holloway was able to return fire and uh, seriously injure the suspect who remains in the hospital. Uh, what is not heard uh, in this audio that you listened to was the fact that Officer Holloway was, was shot. He now, After he was shot, he was not only able to call for medical assistance on his radio, but he, was also, uh, he also directed bystanders to get to safety after the shooting and to stay back. Officer Holloway has been released from the hospital, and we salute him as this week's Cue the Dip winner, doing his job and winning the fight in the protection of his own life and the lives of others. One of the uh, interesting things about this video um, that I'd like to point out that obviously you weren't able to see is that as you hear Officer Holloway get more and more loud and aggressive with his directions, 
you can clearly see the suspect holding and brandishing the handgun. So what was going on there? Did Officer Holloway just not see the gun quickly or process its introduction into the assault? Or is the culture of hatred toward the police and the incessant beating of the, quote, police are racist drum, was that playing in the back of his mind and causing him to hesitate? I don't know. But watching the video and knowing that he was an eight-year veteran, it just doesn't make sense to me that it took him so long to react to the gun. So it will be interesting to see what comes out of this investigation. I will tell you that officers hesitating uh, when using force is, is a very real thing. They have been doing studies and talking to officers, and it's a very real thing, and it's a very, very dangerous thing for police officers. Um, and and uh, so hopefully police officers will see this video um, and it will help them train and, and be better and not hesitate in incidents that they're involved in. Uh, I, will, I will say Officer Holloway is white and the suspect was black. So I don't know. Was that plain in his mind? I don't know. Uh, I don't even usually like talking about the races of the police officer and the suspect in these incidents because quite frankly, it doesn't and it shouldn't matter. Passing a counterfeit bill is stealing, and thou shalt not steal should not be handled differently depending what race you are. It's not lost on me that this is the same thing that George Floyd was stopped for, and after that incident, I heard the cries rise once again that the police should not be stopping people for minor offenses. Well, if that's what the public wants, so be it. But know that those that pass counterfeit bills, I can almost guarantee you are involved in other crime, just as those who are also committing other minor crimes many times are also involved in other larger crimes. And, and, and those larger crimes often show no regard to other people, and they may hurt other people. Had Officer Holloway not stopped the suspect, what would he have done with that gun? He's obviously not afraid to use it. But this is the space between the rock and the hard place that the police find themselves. Confront small crime? and potentially stop big crime or ignore small crime and watch big crime soar. And right now, we are watching the police in live time ignore small crime usually, and we're seeing big crime soar through the roof. And this segues perfectly into how I want to discuss this being kind versus being nice uh, topic. Because confronting small crime is kind, but it may not be nice. While ignoring it may seem so nice, but it's definitely not kind. One thing that Alex spoke about, which resonated with me in regards to police interactions and how some people view them, was her addressing kindness and how being kind doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean nice. This is so true, and in our culture, driven by emotions and feelings, we don't often make the distinction. Definitions are always important in these conversations, and so I looked up the definition of kind and nice. For kindness, uh, the definition is generally friendly, generous, considerate of others, a true care for another person. For nice, uh, the words used to define nice were pleasant, agreeable, uh, and enjoyable were, were some of those words. So could something be kind but not nice? Yes, a resounding yes. In fact, much of what the police do is steeped in kindness, love, and consideration for others yet doesn't look nice, it's not pleasant or agreeable, and generally, it's not enjoyable for those involved or witnessing it. Right now, we live in a culture where being nice has been elevated higher than kindness. 
we see these types of attitudes all over the place. Things like say what makes me feel good. People wanting you to tell them what, what, make, what makes them feel good. Do what appeases me. Celebrate my sin because if you don't, you are not a kind person. Offending someone is considered unkind, even if it's spoken truth with true concern for the other. The idea that truthful words spoken are not nice or kind if they make me feel badly is really prevalent in our society. Driven by feeling and emotion, we focus on the outward and not on the actual value of the action or words spoken. And for sure, we need to be cognizant of motives and tone in these types of situations. But the kindness of the moment has everything to do with truth and the true consideration of another and not how it makes them feel or how it makes others around them feel. Last Monday, Houston police officer William Jeffrey was gunned down and killed while serving a warrant. Sergeant Michael Vance was also shot during this incident, but is recovering. The suspect fired on the officers and was ultimately killed. He engaged in the shootout with police while his girlfriend and some children were in an apartment from which he was firing at the police from. The suspect had been arrested 18 times since 2008. On his latest drug case, the prosecutors argued that he should remain incarcerated, but the judge, in the spirit of being nice, released him on bond. His past charges included burglary, evading arrest, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, and most recently, two drug cases from last November. Prosecutors argued that he should be not denied any bail or release because he was a habitual offender with two previous felony convictions. But that didn't matter to the judge. Being nice mattered. And the suspect was granted low bond and told to show up for a, for a required GPS ankle monitor, which amazingly and shockingly, he did not do. So a warrant was issued and this suspect was on the run until last Monday when officers tried to serve the warrant and, and Officer William Jeffrey was killed and uh, Sergeant Michael Vance was shot. Now, I don't know what happened uh, when this suspect went before the judge or why this judge made his decision. Um, I imagine, as was so common in my career, the suspect appeared before the judge, quite possibly in a suit and tie, and appealed to the judge for kindness because, according to the suspect, he was now a pillar of society, he was getting his life together, he had kids that he needed to take care of, and any other sort of sorrowful tale. And the judge, mistaking being nice for kindness, obliged. I saw it all the time. Hardened criminals engaged in outright evilness day in and day out, showing up in court in nice clothes, covering all their tattoos that glorified the criminal thug life they were engaged in, explaining all the terrible things that happened to them, not taking any responsibility and pushing blame on anyone or anything else, and telling the judge how they have an outreach to kids now and they're teaching them how to box in their basement and feed the homeless on the weekends. Sometimes judges would not be swayed. Understanding that being nice and kind are not the same thing all the time. What the judge did in this Houston case was nice for the suspect, but was far from kind. Ignoring proper consequences and how the suspect had violated moral law, criminal law, over and over again, established at its root by the Ten Commandments, he saw fit to cut him loose so that he could kill and be killed. Felt nice, seemed nice, was agreeable to the ears of the suspect, but ultimately ended in his death and the death of a police officer. Let's bring it closer to our own homes, where in all honesty, these conversations and discussions about kindness and being nice need to be had and lived out. 
Laura and I recently had a conversation about having dogs in the store, uh, which I manage. And I was telling her how oftentimes I will let people who have dogs into the store because I have found that people with dogs, the dogs are better trained than kids. And I was joking with her that I would rather have people come in with dogs and I wish I could keep people out that have kids because many times the kids act worse than the animals that I have in the store. This should not be. We should not be living in homes where our pets behave better than our kids. That's a problem. Where we treat our pets as being able to understand and be disciplined better than our own kids who have brains and intelligence. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29.17 says, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Proverbs 23.13-14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, or hell. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In our own homes, we are mistaking being nice and being kind. I can be nice all day long to my kids, but kindness means things get a bit uncomfortable at times. It's not always a pleasant or enjoyable conversation or outcome. Kindness means I obey the word of God, regardless of how it makes me feel or how it makes my kids feel. If our families and the way we exhort, challenge, and discipline our kids looks no different than what the world is teaching, then we are doing it wrong. Many of the ills being blamed on the police don't start with the police. The ending may come at the hands of the police, but they begin in the family setting where we set out to be nice, but not kind. Are you and I obsessed with being nice, but rarely taking the time to dive into the sludge and grime of being kind? Because being kind gets messy. Being kind means we don't pay lip service to people, but actually confront them with truth. It means we don't deny the truth of God's word just to be nice to people. It means we don't deny how God created us in his own image, male and female, in order to bow to how someone feels. It means we take seriously that God created sex for the confines of marriage between a male and a female, and that anything outside of that plan is sin. It means we prescribe to corporal discipline within our homes because the Bible tells us to regardless of what the world says. It means we confront with truth and love because we genuinely care about the other person. Every day, we see police officers navigating through what it means to be kind, but getting housed by people obsessed with being nice. There is a difference, and we need to think critically about it in our interactions with other people and when we see the police doing their job. Maybe it doesn't look nice. Maybe it isn't enjoyable to watch or agree with our sensibilities, but maybe it's kind. Maybe it's a consequence, just as in Alex's case, that God is using to make things right. Maybe it's a consequence for sin that our world desperately wants to call a disease and just call for niceness 
but where kindness means some tough love to bring about change of behavior. This brings me to the greatest act of kindness ever completed, and also the greatest act of kindness ever done in the midst of mind-bending violence. In Isaiah 53.10, it was prophesied that this would come. And Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, that is to crush Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God, in his infinite kindness and love, poured out his wrath and crushed his son Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice for my sins. Why couldn't God be nicer? Well, because the wages of sin is death. The wages of my sin is death and separation from God. But God, in his infinite kindness, willed for that penalty to be poured out on Jesus on my behalf. Jesus stood in the gap for me. He took the penalty I deserve and that you deserve so that we can be considered sons and daughters of God if we confess and believe. Every day, in every moment, there is common grace bestowed on us by our Creator, for He has given me my last breath, allowing me to complete this sentence. He has given you breath to listen to these words. His kindness continues as He urges those who have not surrendered to confess, believe, and be saved. Great kindness and patience poured out on us every day, though not obtained via an enjoyable, agreeable, or pleasant way. A sacrifice that took away my sins, but was not very nice. One day, God's kindness will end toward those who thumb their nose at his word and deny his son. He will pour out his wrath on those who are without excuse yet refuse to surrender. It will not be kind, and it will not be nice. In the same way, before that time comes, he has appointed those that hold the sword to enact wrath and justice on those who have set their lives on doing evil. They must do so with kindness as they look to protect and serve and sacrifice on behalf of others, but it will not be nice. So be kind, but know that kicking up the dust in pursuit will not be clean. People will be bothered by how the dust settles on things and makes things look unclean. But those that kick up the dust are comfortable with its dustiness and its dirtiness because under it are great acts of kindness born out of sacrifice, commitment, and fortitude. So to you, officer, kick up the dust in pursuit. Don't ever stop doing it.